Amen. You may be seated. God is good, isn't he? There is no life, there is no other life for me, church. No other life for me but the Christian life. Now, I'm going to need you to stick with me this morning, okay? We're going to kind of have to get a little technical this morning. So give me your good ear. Be attentive as, as much as you can. Uh, and I pray that you can understand this. I, I honestly believe that this morning the Lord would like to or would seek to encourage or to bolster your faith this morning. You, you come in and I hope and pray that you leave with increased faith, with, with bolstered faith. And to do that, ironically, I have to start out with this statement. I think there are a whole lot of Christian people that don't know or don't fully understand what faith actually is. Okay? Christianity or the Christian faith is not a baseless belief system that someone made up sometime. It is... It is not based on the fact that some philosopher sometime thinks, well, there's a God. And he started telling other people and it kind of spread. That's not what it's based on. That's not what the Christian faith is. God is not someone's theory. God is not someone's idea. Christianity is not a belief system. It's not a worldview conjured up out of midair. It's, someone did not just make God up one day and started telling other people. Someone didn't just make this up based on nothing. It is, Christianity is not blind faith. I don't have blind faith. I don't want blind faith. I need something substantive. I need something that I that can form a basis for my belief system. Now, on top of the fact that I, I truly believe many Christians don't fully understand what faith actually is, I also believe that the world would try to paint us Christians as some type of weirdos. Like uh, we are some sort of science deniers. Or like we don't base our beliefs on reality. Like we're irrational weirdos that blindly follow an old book called the Bible. That, that's what the world tries to paint us as. It was almost as though the world would poke fun at our belief in a spiritual, unseen world. They make fun of us. You believe in that kind of stuff? No thanks. And we must admit, church, we have to admit that I can't show you God. God, the Bible tells us God is a spirit. He's intangible. I can't take him and set him on this pulpit and say, here he is. Come and touch him. Come and feel him. I've never been able to physically touch God. I've never been able to physically see God. We have to admit these things. He's intangible. So, are we? Bear with me now. Are we just a bunch of freaks that blindly follow an old book? Are we Christians? Am I a Christian? Are you a Christian just because that's what your parents taught you? Are we Christians because it's statistically probable because you were born in America and in America, there's an awful lot of Judeo-Christian churches. So it's just kind of statistically probable that you're going to be a Christian. Is that why you're a Christian? Are we Christians just because that's the random belief system that came my way, seemed like a good idea, and now I subscribe to it? What is it based on? What is faith? What is it grounded in? 
Why do you believe in what you believe in? Why are you convinced this morning? Why am I convinced that there is a God? Why are you convinced that Jesus Christ is deity? Why are you convinced that the miracles in His Bible is true? Why are you convinced of the virgin birth? Why are you convinced of the resurrection? What's it all based on? Why is it that you believe that? Now this morning, I'd like to tell you why I believe in what I believe in. I'd like to tell you why. I'd like to explain the basis for my faith. What my faith is actually grounded in. What it's rooted in. Now, this is a, a very big topic, very broad topic. Obviously, we can't discuss all of the reasons of why I believe in what I believe in, but we can discuss a few things about it. First of all, we have to define faith, what faith actually is, not what you think it is, what it actually is, and the Bible is kind enough to do so for us. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us what faith is when it says this. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things unseen. Did you hear what that said? It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Brothers and sisters, faith is based on evidence. Faith is based on substance. Things, something. It's not based on nothing. It's based on something. It's based on substance and it's based on evidence. Christianity is based on evidence. Not just some belief system conjured up out of midair. It's based on actual evidence. It's based on observations. It's based on eyewitness testimony. It's based on corroborated historical documentation. It's based on real things. Not just someone's idea. Not just, I think there's a God somewhere. Sounds like a good idea. No, it's based on real things. That's what faith actually is. It's based on substance. Something that has substance to it. It's based on evidence. Pieces of evidence. Bodies of evidence. It is not conjured out of thin air. Faith is based in reality. Things that really happened. Things that really occurred. That's what it's based on. Many Christians don't grasp that. You don't grasp that the Christian faith is actually rooted and grounded in something substantial. In, in evidence. Now... Many Christians, like I said, they can't grasp that. They blindly believe that there is a God and He created all this. That there's a heaven and there's a hell somewhere after you die. Yeah, I believe in that. Well, I, I don't know about you, but my faith, my belief in God and His Son Jesus are based on evidence. Okay? They're based on substance. It's based on something. Okay? Not nothing, something. Now, what evidence, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I'd like to, to tell you what some evidences are for the Christian faith that substantiate the Christian faith. Not just conjured out of midair. No, there's real reasons to believe in this stuff. So I, I want to start out with this. And, and if you are involved at all in our Sunday nights, you may have heard me bring this up recently. I want to start off with the Jewish nation. You, you, you can't turn on the TV 
one single day or a news without hearing something about the nation of Israel. They're all over the news. They're very prominent in the world today. Just this little tiny, you ever seen how tiny Israel actually is? Just a little speck on the map, but you can't turn on the news and not hear about them. Today, in the nation of Israel, or today there was a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, or Benjamin Netanyahu said, they're very prominent in the world today, yet they're this little speck on the map. And I find it funny that in Genesis 17, now you can go read some of this on your own, we're not going to go through all of this, but we find that God creates this everlasting covenant with a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham is the patriarchal father of the Jewish nation, okay? They, they all refer to Abraham, he is the father of that whole nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, the ancient Hebrews. Abraham is the father. And if you read Genesis 17, God makes this what's called an Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. And all of his seed, all of his descendants, God says, I will forever be with you. I'll watch over you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I will be with you for all of eternity. He will be with his people. Gener- a couple generations later, you see a man named Jacob. If you look through the Old Testament, you'll see God is referred to a lot as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is who their patriarchs are. So this man named Jacob, make a long story short, his name is changed to Israel. And all of his descendants from then are, are referred to as the children of Israel. The children of Jacob. The Israelites. The Jewish people. The Jewish nation. Okay? So God has this covenant, this everlasting covenant with Israel. And the fact is, there's, there's nothing really special about these people. They're, they're normal people just like we are, with the exception of this covenant, with the exception of God gave them the, the oracles of God. They, they were responsible for the oracles of God. But what I'm saying is they're, they're sinful people just like us Gentiles. Okay? But here's the funny thing that I, I ask myself. Where are all the other ancient people groups? Where are they all at? Do you realize they're all long gone? Where are all the Canaanites? Where are all the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites? Where's the great Babylonian Empire? Where's the great Persian Empire? Where's the great Roman Empire? Where's the great Greek Empire? Where are these giant empires that were a hundred times the size of this little speck on the map called Israel, the Jewish nation? These, these, these empires were a hundred times, maybe way bigger than that. Some of them ruled almost the entire world. And they're long gone, but yet here we have God who created this covenant thousands and thousands of years ago, centuries and centuries ago, And for some reason, this covenant still stands true today. God has kept His hand over those people and they have stood the test of time. All those other people groups, all those other nations, all those other empires, they're gone. They're wiped clear off the map. When have you ever turned on the news? And on the news it said, well, today the Persian Empire did a strike. They're gone. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Yet they were exponentially stronger than these Israelites. They're gone. They were some of the biggest empires in all of human history, but they're gone. All these great nations, all these people groups, all these empires, they come and go. But they didn't have a covenant with God now, did they? But the ones that have a covenant with God, we still see them today. 
They're right in our face, and they stand as a piece of evidence that there's something that substantiates this book. They're all gone, but yet we strangely see these Jewish peoples surviving humanity, surviving human history. They're surviving the test of time. All those other people so much stronger than them, they're gone. But yet we still see this Abrahamic covenant. Centuries and centuries old. They still thought you can't turn on the news without hearing something about these people. There's something about them. Now, over time, these people have been scattered, you know, through war, through slavery, through sin. These Israelites have been scattered because, like I said, they're people just like we are, made of flesh and blood just like we are. They've turned away from the Lord. The Lord's had to try to punish them and judge them. And they've been scattered all throughout the world. If you know anything about a little bit of your biblical history, you know that the Babylonians came and completely wiped them, wiped them out, took them as slaves, took them out of their land, took over their land. But I find this funny. Okay, we're talking about things that substantiate the Christian faith. I find this funny that we come to the prophet Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 13. This is talking about the nation of Israel. Ezekiel says, And I will bring them out from the people, and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. This is Ezekiel prophesying after they're scattered and seemingly wiped out. The Bible saying, mm, God is going to regather His people. He's going to reach out into all these countries and He's going to pull them back and He's going to put them back in their rightful land, which is Israel. He's going to bring them back. The Bible prophesies this. We also, a few chapters later, we have Ezekiel chapter 37. There's lots of things written about this in the book of Isaiah, but we're not going to go over all of them. But Ezekiel chapter 37, many of you should be familiar with that. It's, it's when God gives this vision or this dream to Ezekiel of the valley of the dry bones. Ezekiel's walking around and all he sees is dead, dry bones everywhere. The Lord asks, says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, I don't know, you know. And the Lord says, prophesy to these dead, dry bones. Prophesy to them. So Ezekiel obeys and he prophesies over these dry bones. The Bible says, flesh starts coming back onto them. Bone joins the bone, it says. Sinew comes, tendons come, muscles come, and they start to get flesh, and they look like real living people. Then he breathes life back into them. Listen to what Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 11 says. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We're cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Do you see this, these dry bones? They were representative of the nation of Israel. Scattered, lost, destroyed, defeated. But God says, mm, 
I'm going to regather my people. I'm going to bring them back into their own land. I'll breathe life. I'll resurrect them from the seeming dead. And then when that happens, you'll know that there is a God, that I did it, that I performed it. Brothers and sisters, do you know your history? We saw this happen in 1948. We saw when Israel declared itself an independent state. What I find interesting is, if you know any more of your history, what had just recently occurred? What had just recently happened to the Jews less than a decade earlier? The Holocaust! You got someone trying to wipe them clear off the map, killing millions and millions and millions of them. Nazi Germany trying to wipe them out. Just exterminate them. Kill them. Kill them as fast as you can, as many as you can. Get them off the face of the earth. But God's covenant is with Abraham still. And God says, you aren't going to wipe my people off the map. They're my people. And here we saw this occur in 1948. Israel declaring itself an independent state. Less than a decade after the Holocaust, mass murder of his people. I ask you this, where's the Third Reich? Where's Nazi Germany? Way more powerful than these little speck on the map, Israel. Where's Nazi Germany today? They're gone! They didn't stand the test of time. But yet these strange people called the Jews who have this covenant, they can survive all this stuff where no one else can. Again, where are all those other huge empires? They're all gone. But we still see Israel who has this covenant with God, God keeping His hand over them. There's hardly a day that goes by you can't hear something about the nation of Israel. They're so prominent in our news. So brothers and sisters, you see, there, there's one little piece of real, actual evidence for the Christian faith. Do you see how it's based on something real? Not just, oh, I think there's a God out there. Some No, these events are predicted. These events are prophesied. And we saw them happen. Now that's just one little piece of real evidence that substantiates what I believe in. Okay? Now does it prove everything? No. But we, let's keep going. Next, I want to consider the Messiah. Is Christ really the Messiah? Well, we see there's a, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. His name's Isaiah. We see Isaiah, and we know when Isaiah wrote these things. 700, 730, 740 B.C. So many, many, many centuries before Jesus walked on this planet. Okay? Many centuries before. If you want to find out more about how and when and why we know Isaiah was written, look up the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? Look, up, look into some of that stuff. But listen to what Isaiah, strangely, centuries before Christ, listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, Isaiah is a prophet of God. He says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. How in the world is this man seven centuries, over seven centuries before Christ talking about a virgin will conceive and you'll call his name Emmanuel? Thus far, Jesus fits the criteria, doesn't he? Thus far. These are substantive things of why I believe in what I believe in. Then, then we come to 
Isaiah chapter 53. Now, I have mentioned this chapter, Isaiah 53, before preaching. Everybody, listen closely now, everyone in this room should be somewhat familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. You should all be familiar with it. It is one of the cornerstones of our faith. I'm going to read to you the entire chapter, and I'll quickly read through this. I know we have a lot to get through. But listen, now remember the time frame, 730, 740 B.C., many centuries before Christ. Isaiah writes, Who hath believed our report, and who, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Listen, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, who is this describing, church? Centuries before Jesus. Who's it describing? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. Who's it describing? He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich is his death. Because he hath done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. Who's that describing? That's describing Jesus Christ. That's describing him to a T. Describing exactly Jesus Christ centuries before he walked this planet. If that doesn't fit if that doesn't fit Jesus Christ to a T, then I don't know who is. Talking about he's despised. That he carried away our sorrows. That the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. No guile was found in him. He didn't even make a defense for himself. That's talking about Jesus centuries before Jesus walked this planet. If that doesn't fit, I don't know who it is. Again, this is another piece of evidence that we have that substantiates our faith. Okay, now this is if the Gospels can be trusted. Let's look at the Gospels. Can they be trusted this morning? <clears throat> Are they true? Can we really believe in them? We know that in the Gospels, there's some pretty serious claims in the Gospels. Uh, the, you have the virgin birth. You have the deity of Christ. 
You have the sinlessness of Christ. You have His death. You have His burial. You have His resurrection in the Gospels. Can we truly believe in them this morning? First of all, if we want to look at the Gospels, we have to remember that the Bible isn't like a normal book, okay? It consists of books, plural, okay? A lot of times when we look at the Bible, we see it like we see any other book. Some author sat down, he got his pen out, started writing stuff, published it, and now we have a book. That's not how the Bible, the Bible isn't like that. Every book of the Bible is actually its own book, Okay, and the collection was placed together and canonized to create the Bible. The Greek word for Bible is la Biblia. It means books. The Latin word, Biblia, means books. So when you look at the Bible, it means books, plural. Not just one book, books put together. So these Gospels, we look at it as, well, it's just part of the Bible. No, they're books of the Bible. Separate books put together. So these Gospels are written by four different authors, okay? These men are four different eyewitnesses, and they corroborate each other. They tell the same story. They, they didn't sit down and say, hey, what do you got over there? Hey, let's, let's write this together. No, these men wrote these books separately. Separately, okay? Has anyone ever read, read and thought about the beginning of the Gospel of Luke? Now, Luke was a learned man, maybe, maybe a physician, they believe. He was smart. He was intelligent. So his writing is a little bit different. Listen to how he starts the Gospel of Luke. He says this, For as much as ye have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those thing, things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, from which the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very beginning, to write unto thee, most excellent Theophilus, that thou might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast instruct, been instructed. Do you see here that Luke is saying, I know what happened, I saw it, I'm going to set it in order, I'm going to write it, I'm going to record it all down, and I'm going to deliver it to you so that you can know why we believe what we believe in, so you can know why I'm making the statements that I'm saying. He's saying I'm going to organize it, and I'm going to set it all in order, and I'm going to write this. And if you read, if you continue to read Luke, he launches into starting with the virgin birth, starting with John the Baptist, and he records the whole entire story. I just find that neat that that's the way he started the gospel. Do you understand that's how we do investigations today, brothers and sisters? That's still how we do investigations today. I got my wife hooked on some of the crime documentaries. You hear me always talk about crime documentaries. I kind of like to watch them. You know, my wife and I, we sit down and we watch some of these crime documentaries. And you know what happens when there's a crime committed and they find witnesses or suspects the investigators get them and they separate them. They take them into this room. Then they take other ones into that room. And then the investigators go in and they say, okay, tell me your story. They listen to the story. They write it all down. Then they go to the other witness or, or suspect. And they say, okay, you tell me your story. And then the investigators, they take the stories and they check to see if they corroborate each other. It is a way you can detect lies. It is a way you can decipher the truth. 
If you get all these eyewitnesses, they all say the same thing, then what they sell and what they're saying is substantiated because it's corroborated with other witnesses. That's exactly what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do. They're four separate freestanding books, and they corroborate each other. You can look to either one. They tell the same story about the same man recording the same things. Now, obviously, they have some slight differences because they're different people. We're not robots. We're all different people. But that's the way we decipher the truth. We take it from multiple accounts, and then we see if it all corroborates. And in the case of the Gospels, we have four different accounts written by four different people that corroborate each other. If they were different, we would know it's a lie. But they're not different. They corroborate each other. Okay? Okay, well, this is a fair question. What if those four men got together to put on a big giant hoax? What if they got together and they all created this lie and said, hey, let's just mess with everybody and, and make up a lie and write this and just try to mess with people? That's a fair question. It really is. Because if we're going to believe in something, it has to be, we got to check into it. So did they lie about the virgin birth? Did they lie about the deity of Christ, the miracles, his crucifixion, resurrection? Did, are those lies? Did they lie about them? I have a real hard time believing they lied about it. You know why? Because the disciples and the early church leaders, even after biblical time, a lot of our church leaders then, they were threatened, they were beaten, they were humiliated, they were jailed, they were martyred, they were burned at the stake, they were stoned, they were hated, they were ostracized. Again, I want to go back to the crime documentaries I just told you about. I watched lots of crime documentaries People lie to keep from going to jail. Hey, did you commit this murder? No, I didn't do it. I wasn't even there. I don't even know these people. They don't lie to go to jail. They lie to keep out of it. You see what I'm saying? Why, why would these gospel writers, why would the disciples, why would the apostle Paul and Stephen being stoned, all, all these early church leaders, why would they believe in a hoax that got them killed, that got them threatened, that got them beaten? That got them ostracized. No, 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 no. You, people, humanity lies to keep from those things happening to us. When I was a little kid, I knew lying was bad, but there was a couple times I conjured up some lies to tell my dad. Why? Because I didn't want the punishment to keep me from being punished. I told him a lie. Why would they have done this for a lie? What, would they have suffered stoning over a hoax? Ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, they're picking up stones now. They're starting to throw stones at me. Do you understand that they had to actually turn on their own people too? These were Jewish men. They had to turn on their own people and say, Hey, this man Jesus, you all crucified him, but I'm telling you, he was the Messiah. They had to turn on their own people, their own families in some circumstances. Would they have done that for a hoax? Would they have suffered an upside-down crucifixion over a hoax? You know, they believed that all of the disciples were killed. Maybe one of them died of natural causes, but all of them were killed over a hoax? I don't think so, brothers and sisters. People lie to save their own skin. I don't think so. You know what I think? I think those gospel writers saw something. That's what I think. I think they saw something that was worth the risk 
I, I think they saw th- something that was worth the stoning. I think they saw a truth or a man that was worth jail time. I think they saw miracles that were worth threats. I think they saw something, they penned it down and it was worth the beatings. I think they saw something worth the risk. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He's saying, we, this isn't made up. When we've made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter's saying, I saw this. I seen it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice unto him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter's writing about the transfiguration of Christ here. Peter was one of the ones that was on the mountaintop. He saw it. And he's writing here this epistle and he's saying, I saw this. Verse 18 says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how we got these Scriptures. Eyewitnesses saw stuff and they started writing it down. And that's how we got the Bible. Peter's saying, I'm not telling you a bunch of fables. I'm I'm not telling you cunningly devised fables. I'm telling you what I saw. Man, I heard a voice come and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter's saying, I'm telling you, I seen it. He's saying, not only did I see it, I heard it. I heard this voice. We saw it. I'm bearing witness of it. I'm writing it down. And I'm telling you so that you can have the same thing that I have. Has anyone in here ever read the beginning of the Gospel of John? You ever read that? Listen, listen to what the beginning of the Gospel of John says. It's a, this is the Gospel of John. This is John. Imagine him penning this, observing this man named Jesus Christ. He says, John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. John saying, man, the Word of God was made into flesh, and I saw the man. I saw him. I beheld him. I beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then he goes on to say, John the Baptist even bore witness of Him. John the Baptist saw Him. Brothers and sisters, the Gospels corroborate each other. Different books, different men, different people, written, they're all the same story. They corroborate one another. I believe it. I think they saw something. I think these men saw something. They saw, I think they saw miracles. I believe that. I think they saw Jesus transfigured on a mountaintop. I think they saw a man live sinless. I think they saw that. I think they saw a man resurrect from the dead. I I believe that. I think they saw an incarnate God. I think they saw him and they started writing it down and it was worth any cost to them. Are you going to put me in jail? Put me in jail. I'm just telling you I saw what I saw. You're going to stone me? Kill me? Go ahead. God have mercy on your soul because this is what I saw. 
when they stoned Stephen, read about Stephen. Read about him. He didn't say, no, I'm just kidding. No, I take it back. No, no, he didn't at all. He stood even more on what he believed in. These men saw something. They saw something. And they wrote it down. And thank God we have the Gospels now today. Where would we be without them? Brothers and sisters, that, th these are the things that my faith is based on. They're based on real events, real historical documentation written by eyewitness account. That's why I believe in it. I do not think these men would lie. I don't think it's a hoax. I believe in it. 1 John, another disciple. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You see, John immediately is saying, man, we heard him with our own ears. We saw him with our own eyes. We looked upon him with our own eyes. Our hands have handled him. Man, we've touched this man. The, the word of life. Verse 2 says, For the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. John's saying, man, I'm going to write the stuff that I saw. I'm going to write the stuff that I seen. I'm going to write the stuff that I touched and that I handled. Why is he doing it? So that you can have the same joy that I have. So that you can find salvation too. Here we are centuries later and people can still find salvation through the things that those gospel writers wrote. They saw something, church. They saw something that was worth even more than their own lives. More than their own families. More than the blood that flowed in their veins. They saw something. They saw something. Brothers and sisters, I don't buy that these Gospels are a hoax. I don't buy it. I think they record the true account of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. New Hope, do you, do you, do you see? These are all just little reasons, little things that if you think about them, they start to make sense and they start to form a basis for a real belief system. Something real to believe in. Remember, faith is not just conjured out of midair. No, no, the Bible says no, no, no. It's based on something. It's based on evidence. It's based on substance. I'm telling you this morning, these are some of the substances it's based on. I read a, I read a quote the other day. I think it was from Francis Bacon. And he said something to the effect of, a little, a little philosophy leads one towards atheism. But deep philosophy brings a man back to religion. I love theology. I love learning about God. I love it. Sometimes I think if I didn't have an outlet of preaching, I would walk down the road one day and just explode. I know I would. You'd find a big old pile of goo. Oh, that's Jason. He wasn't able to preach, so he exploded. <laughs> I got to let it out. I got to let it out. These gospels are no hoax. They're the real deal. 
This just These are some of the reasons I believe in what I believe in. I, I think about these things, and I believe in them. These things that I'm telling you, the Jewish nation, the Jews being brought back to Israel, the, the Gospels, you look into the Gospels, these things formulate my faith that God is the creator and Jesus is his son. They form it. Uh, here's another little thing that I, I think about. Another little reason that I have faith in Jesus Christ. Why not Hinduism? Why not Taoism? Why not Confucianism? Why not Islam? Why not Buddhism? Why not other, all these other world beliefs? Why not all these world religions? Why Christianity? Why are you saying Christianity's right? Well, without being too complex, actually to keep it very simple, do you realize that Christianity is the only religion, and I do use that term lightly, Christianity is the only belief system, Christianity is the only worldview or religion that actually offers a solution to sin. Do you realize that? It's the only one. None of the other religions and I'm not making fun of the other religions or making, poking fun at them or saying derogatory things about them. I am only saying those religions don't offer any solution for sin. And sin is the real problem. Sin is the real problem for humanity. There is no solution to sin with the exception of the New Testament. Amen. All those other religions, they have no solution. They have no way to solve the problem of sin. What do we do about sin? Except the New Testament. The New Testament offers the atoning blood of a sinless lamb which cleanses individuals from the clutches of iniquity. The other ones don't even offer it. They don't even attempt to offer it. There is no other one similar to Jesus Christ in any other world religion. The other religions, they tell you to be good. They tell you to do better. They tell you to have your good outweigh your bad. They try to, they tell you to right your wrongs by doing right. They're performance based. They're works based. And brothers and sisters, if I have to work for it, then it depends on me. Then it's actually salvation depends on me. I can't, I can't subscribe to that because I know myself. I can't subscribe to that. I was listening to Dinesh D'Souza. You've never heard of him. He's actually kind of a solid guy. I like listening to him a little. He, he described it one of the best ways I've ever heard someone describe it. He described it this way. and He, he said, we all have in our minds the way things ought to be. You know, if I, if I tell you this morning the way things ought to be, I, I think we all should love each other. I think we all should take care of each other. You know, we can share, and if you're in need, I'll help you out. If I'm in need, we help me out. And, and no murdering, no killing, no hating. No, we all know it, it should be good. We should help one another. We should love one another. That's the way it ought to be. So we see that. That's how it ought to be. But then we actually see reality, how it actually is. We see murder. We see hatred. We see crime of all kinds of sort. We see people starving to death. We see people raping and we see people robbing people. So there's a big giant gap between how they ought to be and reality. 
And you take all those world religions, and all the world religions say, do good. So you have to come with reality, you have to start there, and you have to come up to how it ought to be, based on your behaviors. But there's one religion, and again, I use the term lightly. There's one worldview or belief system. All of them start from reality and move up towards how it ought to be. But there's one, Christianity, that takes how things ought to be, the good, and the gap is bridged going down towards how it really is. Christ came down from good, from utopia. He came down to humanity, to where it is. And he bridged that gap. All other world religions say, no, you have to start with where you are and you have to go up towards that utopia, towards heaven, and do good. You have to do it all. But in Christianity, Christ did the good and he came down to how we see things really are. That makes a lot of sense to me. Because in my mind, I see how things should be. We shouldn't have wars. We shouldn't be murdering each other and killing each other and bloodshed and violence. But I see that that's not my reality. But Christ bridges that gap and makes a way for us to pull us up to heaven. That's why Christianity for me, that's why I believe in it. This is the stuff that my faith is made of. My faith is formed on evidence-based claims. My faith is reasonable, my faith is rational, and my faith is logical. Finally, my brothers and sisters, and I'll, I'll bring this to a close. If, if the band would make their way back, I, I want to tell you one little final reason why I believe in Christianity. And why I believe in this book. It's because it's testable. You can test it. Do you understand that? You can test this book. You can test the Christian faith. And I invite you, go ahead. Anyone listening online, go ahead. Be my guest. Test it. Put the book underneath of a microscope. Test it. You know, Psalms chapter 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. Once you're saved and you're washed, in the blood of the Lamb, and you're regenerated, it's confirmed in you, isn't it? Has anyone ever seen, I know that many of us have, you ever seen someone carrying around that's unsaved and they're carrying around the weight of the world? You you can see it in their face. It's written in the creases in their face, the weight of the world. It's written in there. Test it. Test it. What have you got to lose? Test the faith. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, He is so good, is He not, church? There is no other life for me. There is no other life for me. But Christianity. Jesus makes this statement, and I love this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. It's what the world's seeking. They're seeking peace. They're seeking rest. They're seeking respite from the fallen world that's all around them. And Jesus says, I got that. All you that labor and are heavy laden with the weight of the world, the weight of sin. Oh my goodness, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Brothers and sisters, I love the rest that He gives me. I love the peace that He gives me. I love it. I have peace in my home. It's not perfect all the time. I'd be lying if I'd said that it was. But I do have peace. I have rest. Uh, My soul is at peace. It's at rest now. Because I believe in the man, Jesus Christ. I believe that He is the Messiah. I have faith based on these things. Based on what's confirmed inside of my heart. That it works. I like to have a faith that's real. That I can test that I can substantiate, that I can look and see if it's corroborated, that I can see where it's coming from. I gotta have something real, brothers and sisters. And I do. And now, because of that, ye shall find rest unto your souls. And Jesus finishes it up by saying, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I worked for so many years in a factory and I, my heart broke for those people. You see the people of the world, they have no rest for their souls. They carry around such heavy burdens. The weight of the world is on their back. Man, if you come to Christ, test it. Test it. Put it to the test. Test it and see if it's real. Test it and see if it's the truth. Test it. You you know, there's men, very learned men that have set out to disprove this book. They set out to say, I told you it's false. And they end up getting saved. If I'm, if I'm not wrong here, I believe Martin Luther was one of them. Martin Luther in the Reformation. He was one of them. He, he was a learned man, a scholar, a scribe. And he said, I'm going to disprove this thing. Because he was sick of all the junk that was going on in the churches. And the man ended up finding true salvation. Because he tested it and look what happened to him. Our, our church, you understand, we're a Protestant church to this day. We're a product of Martin Luther even today. Hundreds of years later. Because someone tested it way back then and found out it was the truth. Found out those men were eyewitnesses. It's not a hoax. It's the real deal. New Hope, if we could stand, please. This morning I just attempted to tell you a few reasons. Just a little bit of the thought process behind why I believe in what I believe in. I know it's getting late, but the band's going to lead us in one more song. Remember, these altars are always open. I'm always here to pray with you, Pastor Joe. Pray with you, Bruce. There's others that will pray with you. If you need prayer, we will pray with you. Anyone listening at home, send us a message. We will pray with you. Always remember the ABCs of Christianity. Always remember them. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe in the things that I told you about today. Christ crucified upon the cross. And then you confess them with your mouth. And you will be saved. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, and not be all else to me, save thou art. Thou my best, Lord, by day Waking or sleeping, my presence, my life. Thou be my wisdom in 
another person get saved this morning. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> the enemy lost another one. I, I love it. I want to see more salvations here at this church and all across the world. 
Father God, we love you this morning, Lord. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the Word of God. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that it teaches us. Lord, the Bible is revelation of who you are and what you want, Lord God. And we love you, Lord. I love you so much, Lord God. I think about you all the time. I meditate on your Word all the time. Lord, I pray that anyone in here, Lord, who's cold or, or dead or lost their passion, Lord, restore it unto them. Put inside of them a, a, a hunger and a thirst for the things of righteousness, Lord, and fill them with your spirit, God. Lord, I pray blessings on everyone, Lord. Keep us safe, Lord. And God, keep your hand over your people. And Lord, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone.